This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. You have to be able to withdraw yourself. You don't have a business if you stop working and you stop earning money. Mm-hmm. That's not a business. That's you providing a service Correct. and you're servicing clients. Yeah. There's 86,400 seconds in a day. And if you've got no money as a startup, no time, because you're, a, you're, you're doing everything yourself, you're wearing all the hats, you need to look at what you do have. And that's the 86,400 seconds in a day or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So that then becomes how you distribute your time. And what you need to do, you get a spreadsheet put every hour of the day on there. I'm a big spreadsheet person. Yeah, I love it. Do a time audit and look at your business and see where you are spending the most time. Hey guys, just before we head into the episode, if you have been enjoying the podcast, please make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using, whether you're using Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Whatever it is that you're using, please make sure you hit the subscribe button. Uh, It really does help us out a lot. Um, It obviously means more people will be able to see and and trust our content. It also means that you'll get that content every week. And, you know, we really do appreciate all the support, all the shares, all the likes, all the comments, all the messages that we get. Um, It does help us and and spurs us on to keep providing more value and, and deliver, you know, quality content to you guys. So a massive thank you. Jenna, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I, you are, we, we obviously shot here in uh, Cloverly, Clovelly. Clovelly. It's the Melbourne in me again, Cloverly. Coogee. Yeah. <laughs> um, with Jade last time and yeah. loved that episode and that's why we're back here. It was a great setting. But you have recently gone into business with Jade. Yes. Which is really exciting. Big appetite. Very cool. Can we, do, where's that name derived from? We are hungry for growth <laughs> and we like big up a tight. It's like an upward trajectory, upward trending. Yeah. Um, it's something that we just felt was different, quirky and catchy and challenged the norm. And that is exactly what we're here to do. It's, 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 a, it's a bold statement. We know it's spelled incorrectly. Um, we're not here to, we're here to break a mold. Yeah. Amazing. I love it. I, I love it. I think it's um, smart, uh, you know, in terms of brand name. I, I love it. Um, but we're here to talk about yourself and, and have a conversation about the skills that you bring to the table. I'd love for you to give a little bit of a background um, about yourself. How'd you get into business? How'd you get into marketing? And then we can go from there. Big story. Um, I'll give you the, the short version of it. So I did a commerce degree after uni. I studied um, business and commerce. I majored in marketing. I wasn't the best in school. I wasn't um, I was quite naughty, but I was really good at business and English and a couple of other things in that, I was in, in that space. So um, naughty, but nerdy, I would say, actually. Um, <laughs> that sounds exactly like me. Yeah. So like rebelled real hard, but then excelled in, in business and commerce. So I went to uni, did that. I started selling pest control hygiene services. I worked for a global facility services company. I have a very strong, uh, my dad is very strong in sales. Um, I grew up listening to sales calls in the car all the time, going to work with my dad as a kid. Um, Sometimes I just loved it. So I was in this sales role selling pest control in warehouses, like walking around, counting how many rat stations places needed. And um, I kind of knew that that wasn't obviously what I wanted to be doing. And I wanted to get into marketing, having graduated with a marketing um, degree. Being in sales, it's obviously two in the, two very different positions mm-hmm. in, in a company. Both go hand in hand, though. Uh, I got into health and wellness. I got into the pharmaceutical company. Um, when I finished studying, I 
I was already in the habit of studying and going to uni. I, w- I worked full-time, went to uni full-time at night. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to keep learning. So I just enrolled in my Cert 3 and 4, did my Cert 3 and 4 in fitness um, and really sort of used that as a, as a way to get into, into the wellness industry going into pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. I worked for an FMCG company um, here in Sydney and I worked on weight loss, health and wellness brands. And we at the time had the lowest sugar weight loss shake on the market. We were rival, like rivaling um, OptiFast and brands like that. And I remember saying, what if we gave these people like a PDF on how to work out and how to keep the weight off? Mm. You know, and maybe we could create a customer for life, converting them onto the more expensive um, um, health and wellness vitamins, you know. Mm-hmm. So started creating health and fitness PDFs. Um, that accompanied weight loss shakes and I just loved helping people so much that I was then like I need to, to move into into the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. So started consulting, um, started my own business. I sort of grew quite quickly because I had a lot of friends in this space and and um, fit right into the, the, the fitness industry mm-hmm. but I could help them in a way that they couldn't help each other which was with marketing and business. So Grew my, started my own company. Um, it was Jenna Davies Marketing and, and launched the fitness business strategy um, and helped hundreds of trainers grow their business. And, and then Jade and I met and had a pivotal conversation and decided to join forces. And now we're working across brands, businesses, you know, um, clients in the health and wellness space, e-commerce and online. So it's definitely just been a, a, a case of running with whatever feels good and where I want to go and all of a sudden here we are. It sounds like entrepreneurship, right? <laughs> it's like everybody's story is the same. Yeah. Just do it and figure it out along the way. Exactly, exactly. Um, awesome. So I'd love for, I guess, to dive into because you're obviously highly skilled and your knowledge is in marketing and, mm-hmm. and sales. I, I'd love for you to, I guess, unpack what you think the current landscape is, you know, in terms, terms of marketing as a as a as a whole, you know, like what's working, um, you know, across social media, across ads, you know, just in general, like what are you, how are you seeing it playing out at the moment? It's definitely a, a tricky question to answer succinctly. And I think it depends on the business and your offer. It depends on your offer. Who are you selling to? Um, and, and the price, the price point makes a big difference as well. We have like high ticket um, coaching services, high ticket items, mostly service-based businesses are high ticket. Mm-hmm. But then you've got your e-commerce stores, your lower end products and, and, um, and guidebooks, PDFs or clothing supplements. So it's like, it, it depends on, on what you're selling and who you're selling to. But I think the most important thing is that people are diversifying. You don't have a business if you just have an Instagram account. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you either have a business or you where, where you're uh, operating across different platforms, you're present, you're, you own your database. Like if, if Instagram fell over tomorrow and your, or your account was hacked, do you have a business? And I think what works is what is working, whether it's a high ticket or low ticket item, is capturing data building a community, capturing data um, and really focusing on those high converting platforms, which really is going to actually be your website, your owned, your owned media, your owned content, mm. your, your email list, your website, your, your data that you can read and analyze um, and then remarket to. So when you say like own your database, you're talking about like examples like email lists and, yes. and obviously, is there any other forms that you're seeing now outside of 
It just email uh, Communities, Facebook communities are still doing really well. Obviously, that's housed on the Facebook platform, but depending on what you build your site on, like client portals is something that's huge. We see membership sites and subscription sites taking the wave in terms of online revenue, passive income, that's what everyone wants. And mm. I don't think people understand that the, the power of a membership community that you can either upsell to or just have that recurring revenue. So whilst there is an email list and obviously like you, you can have a following of 100,000, um, but you don't know who they are and you can't actually find them. So you they have to be on your page. They have to be engaged with you to buy from you, but you can't go to them and be like, hey, this is what we've got for you right now and this is how we can make it work. And mm. so you really want to have like a community of engaged people that are waiting for your next drop, for whatever that could be. Um, and in order to do so, you want to be nurturing them. You want to be give, 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 ask, you know, give, 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 ask the business. And and ways that you can do that is obviously email marketing, uh, membership sites, places where you can you can communicate to them, you can find them, you can see how they're engaging and interacting with your content. Mm-hmm. Obviously, social media has analytics, but... <clears throat> The reality is there's a lot of people there who are just having a look. Mm-hmm. I think as well, like, uh, you know, we were talking about this before around like TikTok and mm-hmm. how we, you know, even just with our business, it was like, okay, well, we were doing really well and we fell off a cliff. Now we were trying to, we were trying to identify what that was, but yeah. we owned with, you know, your an own database, like, you know, like an email list, like there's not an algorithm there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not like they can pull the rug out underneath you and yeah. all of a sudden change your you know, the people that see your emails, yes. like it's the reality. I mean, there is spam, but it's, it's obviously a totally different, yeah. but I think like your ability to obviously take the attention that you might be getting from say these different accounts and then converting them into mm-hmm. that, um, that and database that you're talking about, being direct with them. Right? Yeah. So I think I want to preface or, or go back and talk about owned media. Anyone who doesn't know what that is, the, it's, it's owned as in you own it. So in digital marketing, we have the trifecta owned, earned and paid. Mm-hmm. Okay, and whether you're a startup or an existing business, I always like to split your investment, whether it's finances, time, money, mm. across the three. And depending on what you're selling, mm-hmm. if it's a high value item that takes multiple touch points to convert, or if you're selling clothing on impulse and desire um, and, and a, a great looking ad, the way that you distribute your time and money across owned, earned and paid media would be different. But for anyone who doesn't know, owned media is like your website, it's your content, it's your social media platforms, it's you, your brand, it's what you put out, it's what you say, it's your your podcast, it's, it's, it's content, content marketing and your website, like I said. Uh, earned media is worth its weight in gold. Like once you have nailed your owned media, your, your various platforms, I believe what works best is earned media. And the statistics say, you know, 93% of people trust word of mouth before they trust brand advertising. People are, are, are X times more likely to buy something if they've, if they've been referred to it by a friend. So mm-hmm. your earned media is like reviews, testimonials, reshares, and, and, and you would know this. And I think there's a, a huge emphasis whether you have an e-commerce store and you're selling clothes or whether you have a high ticket consulting service earned media builds trust Mm -hmm. and if you don't have an audience and you're spending money trying to acquire an audience that that's coming to your site people want to see proof of concept so Mm -hmm. whether you're using plugins for product reviews or you're marketing on social media with client reshares and testimonials i think that's like should be a huge focus every business needs a strategy for farming 
earned media Mm -hmm. and then there's paid. And it's so interesting. I find um, so many, I know a lot of people have great ideas. You know, like you said, I could give you five business ideas and, and you'd cry over which one to do first or how overwhelming that is. And I see a lot of people who have a, a platform or exit a business or exit a career and they want to do something and maybe they got capital and they start something and they're like, oh, we'll just put, put money into paid ads. Mm. And it's like, if that's where you go first, again, it depends on what you sell, um, but your own and your earned media is not, not ready and up there. You can be paying money to send traffic somewhere, but your conversions could be low because your site sucks or the proof of concept's not there, you know? Mm-hmm. So in terms of what works, I definitely think... Um, results results sell in in any business product reviews um if you have a product review or a product video on your website i think it's like 100 increases conversions 144 percent on the page so i think um in terms of what works being on social media do you have an instagram account or do you have a business you know you want to be focusing on on all of these three things Mm -hmm. so then so if somebody were to come in and and let's say they're starting a brand tomorrow because obviously and this is again something that I'm I'm really excited to talk to you about, but because you've obviously worked with companies that have done this, but I think you've also been you've done it yourself, which is probably the most important. Is when you are in a startup, and especially even if we talk about being a sole trader, mm-hmm. you know, an individual like someone, yes. the, the sole operator of the business. Yep. What's the process like? Because it's limited resources, right? And you mentioned this; it's like distributing and how you distribute yeah. inevitably dictates the result. Yeah. What you know, if I'm someone, and let's just use me as a test dummy, if I'm the person who is, start, I've just started my business and I go, okay, what should I do now in terms yeah. of, you know, the three different sources of media that we can have? Mm-hmm. Where do I spend my time and my resources? Great question. So to go from that solopreneur to a scalable business, you have to be able to withdraw yourself. You don't have a business if you stop working and you stop earning money, mm-hmm. that's not a business. That's you providing a service right. and you're servicing clients. Yeah. You literally have 50 bosses. It's a job, it's a job with it's twice a job. the pressure. It's a job. And so there's 86,400 seconds in a day. And if you've got no money as a startup, no time, because you're, a, you're, you're doing everything yourself, you're wearing all the hats, you need to look at what you do have. And that's that 86,400 seconds in a day or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So that then becomes how you distribute your time. And what you need to do, it sounds so simple, but you get a spreadsheet, put every hour of the day on there. I'm a big spreadsheet person. Yeah, I love it. Um, whatever you do, every hour of the day on there. And for seven days, do a time audit and look at your business and see where you are spending the most time. Because before you can even think about creating content, because this is where every solo sole trader comes to me and says, I don't have time. Okay, well, do you want a digital business or not? Mm. You're telling me you want a digital business, passive income online, but you don't even have time to create content. So you're never going to change. You're always going to be servicing your clients. Like, So you need to look at your time and you need to assess what you can outsource and you need to invest some sort of money to, to a degree, outsource the things that don't need to be done by you. When you have a business, you are the visionary. You will drive the, the, the scalability and the growth because you're the only one that is hungry for your business success like you are. So you need to be able to look at the business 
with with passion and a future vision and you need to be able to get other people to work on some of the things that that you shouldn't be doing emails client programs um content scheduling content creation like what can you outsource email um scheduling things like that so that you can then come back to looking at strat- creating strategies for owned and earned and it sounds more complex than it is when someone says strategies for owned and earned but call your best clients and ask them can you send me X, Y, Z? I just want to know how you're going with the, with the program service product. Email them and say, can you send me a photo of you in my hoodie? Like whatever it is, it's not that complicated. Mm. You know, if, and, and if, you, if you spent some time going, okay, how can I improve the performance of my site where we make money? Um, and that's, that's where your time should be best spent. So, mm. so my advice is to, to go from that sole trader uh, to having a team you need to you need to delegate. You cannot grow, and this is my biggest weakness in some ways. When you're a sole trader, you're obsessed with your business. You're scared and you're passionate, and you think no one can do it as good as you. And maybe that's true, but like neither can you if you're stuck doing everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's like uh, at the end of the day, like you said, there's only a certain amount of time in the day. Yeah, and once you start to realize that, yeah, you can always up your prices, but you always just keep running into the same roadblock, which exactly. is there's only X amount of time in the day. So I think, like, I've always thought about it. Like, I think the first step potentially is always getting someone who can replace the producing the product. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, like again, especially for in a service, right? Mm-hmm. If you're producing that service, like the thing that takes up the most time for you is that yes now if you don't like and and this is you know it's not that that's always the case because like there are opportunities where i think there's a difference between say like working with a contractor and bringing in an employee so Mm -hmm. the employee should always be the person who can or 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 the goal you know you might bring in a contractor but the goal is to get them to an employee yeah because you can outsource marketing and and like to an agency or Mm -hmm. something like that and Mm -hmm. and it can integrate really nicely yeah (laughs) well yeah that's what i mean right so you can integrate really nice there and get that some that kind of solution into your business but then it's like the number one thing that's always going to take up the most of your time in a service is delivering the product so like I, i guess like i've always thought like getting someone in to take some of that time off you so that you can actually even just invest into, say, thinking time. Like I find that people that I've worked with in the past, you know, in, say, the consulting space is like they don't have time to think. Yeah. Like and you try to give them the thoughts, but even for them to comprehend them and and actually take them and run, they don't have enough time to think about the execution. Yes. And then therefore they make mistakes. So that's just something that I've always found. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that. Um, my, my, my mind has two sort of thoughts on that and it's like stillness is the key. It's a book by Ryan Holiday yeah. and they talk about solitude being the university for creativity. And I went away recently and took a break and I had ideas, solutions to problems, ideas for growth that I wouldn't have even been able to hear when I was so busy and stressed. And mm. when you're working yourself 60 hours a week into the ground, wearing all the hats, you stop yourself from actually seeing the bigger picture, which hinders growth in itself, you know? And, but it's like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? How am I supposed to make time for a break if I don't have time to take a break? And, and the reality is, and people don't like hearing this, everyone is replaceable. 
you're not the only person who can do what you do. You think you are. It's Maybe to the people that you yeah. know, find someone who can do what you do as close as you can or teach them. You know, like you get uh, people leave. Sorry, it's true. Everyone, everyone is going to go on their own journey, but you need to invest time into teaching someone else how to deliver the service. Like you said, if you have a service-based business, even if you're creating products that you love, like let's say you have a, a line of clothing, you have that vision. You need to you need to share that. You need to share your vision with people so that they can follow on. You know, and they, I've read this book, and they sort of say, well, the book says. It's the seven people around you that are, are most likely to have, share and see your vision if you communicate with them often enough. And I think that the reality is to go from sole trader to business, you need to be able to leave and your business needs to run. So it's a, yeah, it's definitely a skill set thing, right? Like I know for me when I was going through that, it's it's kind of like what you were saying before, like the you don't often – like. So when you're a sole trader, that I, I can say the hardest thing is is understanding how to allocate time properly. And you often focus – you're so – you're such a technician, yes. right, that you're just like, okay, I know how to do the things, mm-hmm. right? But then what we don't and, – and I know this is a mistake that I made and I see it all the time is like hiring – is the most important thing that you can do in your business. And scary. But when you start off and you have to make your first hire, you just don't understand what goes into that. You don't understand what the right person looks like, how to find them, whether they're lying to you and, and just kind of yeah, um, blowing smoke, you know? Yeah. like So it's, it's, it's really hard. And you also don't allocate enough time to it. And then... To training and development. And training, awarding. development. And you wonder why they leave or suck. <laughs> you pick the first or the second or the third person that yep. comes in because you're you, desperate. I just want to grow. I, I just, need you know, help. Yeah. <laughs> and you just do that, right? Yeah. And then it's like you realise that, you know, you just... That will actually cost you much more time, if that makes sense. And I think like even me now, like I'm making so many, you know, like way less mistakes than what I did when I was first growing and there's much less pain involved because I'm just understanding first of all, when to hire, but second of all, just getting that right person in and spending time, you know, and understanding that it might take three months to get them to a point, you know, like I hired my partner, right. Who's an absolute monster in marketing. Like she's amazing, but she's, we, I, my expectation was she'll come in and it'll just be, you know, it'll just happen. It doesn't work that way. It has to way. learn your business. It has to learn the business. Yeah. And it's like... Your market, your clients. Exactly. And it's like, I think there's a massive underestimation when it comes to that part of like going from that solo solopreneur. To yeah. You just, you just don't have that skill set. You're not aware, you know, management is such an emotional thing, right? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's managing people. And I think just coming back to what you were saying in terms of uh, you don't know where to start when making a hire, I always recommend starting with your client community. Start with someone who knows your business. Like you said, your partner can come in. You could pick the greatest marketer from Afterpay, but they could walk into your business and need a month just to get to know it. So if if you've got a service and someone's gone through it, that's probably a really great place to start. Um, and then also, if you've done that time audit and you can see where you're spending your time, you can then see the tasks that you need to brief out. Google a four R's document. It's called roles, responsibilities, requirements and remuneration or something like that. And work out what tasks you need this person to do. Mm. 
copy job descriptions on seek read research get a better understanding of what that's worth and now you know you've got your your market you've got your audience list you've got the roles that, that, that that's required and you can put the job ad out you can start with your email list you can start with your community mm. the reality is you pay to learn and i like to say i either win or i learn i've hired people that i needed i was so desperate that i was like all right here you go and i then wondered why a month later why are you talking to me yeah. why are you messaging me you should know how to do yeah, that a month later i was like i remember saying something and i was like that is freaking horrendous like and <laughs> and i'm like you know what always assume fault always take full ownership and yeah. responsibility and i go i didn't teach you i didn't i didn't show you i didn't tell you what i was expecting if you've got a vision in your head but you're running so fast that you're briefing things to your team and then you're wondering why it's not coming out that way it's on you you know, so I, I did take when we hired, even when Jade and I partnered and we, we bought, bought in, we have a team of six now, we stopped making money for a, a month because we were like, we just needed to streamline processes and systems and, and make sure the girls are competent. And then in the third month, we doubled our revenue from the first month, which, which it's like, you know, um, it's funny. Have you heard of the marshmallow study? No. Nah. Uh, it's about delayed gratification. There's this study done on kids where they give them a marshmallow and the children who can who yet. can wait um, actually are better off in the long term. And often in business, you say yes to everything. And, and especially as an entrepreneur, you just want to do what you can. You want to say yes to every opportunity. But if you said no for a month and invested in your people, the delayed gratification is growth. Any investment has risk and reward and you need to realise you're investing time into these people and the reward is they do it properly, there's less mistakes, there's less error. But you have to be able to take a break. You have to be able to step back. And, and often, yes, maybe there's money, uh, maybe, maybe you can't afford it, but I think it's also pride and ego that you think you're the only one who can do what you can do and, and you think that you can't stop and you can't train people but that's your way of thinking that's hurting you. It's good to great. Have you read that book? Yeah, Jim I Collins. Have, it's I like have. building your business as like the genius with a thousand helpers. Yeah. Like I built a business that way and then I was always the bottleneck. Yeah. And then only once I stopped doing that did I actually build – like now I've got geniuses around me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's – and I, it's, it's, it's crazy that there was no one else's fault in the – early days than me because I was building my business that way and I think you said something before and it kind of popped into my mind around like you know like if we just talk about getting the right people on the bus um they start to do a lot of that driving for you and and being able to pick the right person and you know in my opinion it's like your ability to get the right people and not the people that are going to tell you what you want to hear and not the people that are just going to come to the table and say yes, but actually get the people that will disagree with you yeah. and have the right skill set. And it's funny, like getting the, you know, like just people in the right positions mm -hmm. who are willing to do the driving for you, it, it's crazy to think about how different you think about your business. Yeah. Because if you go the other way and you're just hiring people and – you want to be the center, the centerpiece, and everything's built around you. That always becomes the ceiling. Yeah. And eventually you get to that point and you lose your time again because you're having to just, you're, you're still getting pulled in a thousand different, you know, 
um, directions yeah. at the same time. So It's interesting. It's like, I mean, this might be triggering or touchy for some people to hear, but you don't have a business if you stop working and you stop earning money. You have a job mm. and you have 50 or 100 bosses, you know? And it's it's funny, like, have you read uh, The Lynchpin? Yeah. By Seth, by, I think Seth Godin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in some ways you want to be a linchpin if you have a job. But if your business is hinged on you, it should be your ability to lead, your ability to share, your ability to find people, get people on the bus that share your vision, see your vision, challenge each other. Um, There's a book that I've been reading, Ready, Fire, Aim. And they talk about uh, uh, finding solutions to problems and, and new product development get people around the table, put it on a whiteboard and get them speaking amongst themselves because Mm. you end up like with this follow the crowd mentality. And if your business is built around you and your team are following your crowd, you're only going to ever be able to innovate as far as you're able to think. And the point of hiring people is to be able to leverage their ideas, their their life knowledge, skill sets, background, expertise. and, and, And that is where innovation comes from. And, and what's the point in having people around you that become puppet, puppets? Mm. Um, you want to be able to empower and lead. Mm. And you want to have people in there that have ideas and, and feel that they have a voice. Mm. So true. So true. And I think as well, like one of the biggest things that I've noticed, and I'd love to get your opinion on it as well, is um, when you hire, do you think about it from, you know, like again, the good to great first who then what type thing like getting the right person like so there's obviously when you're looking to hire you're bringing in someone who has a particular skill Mm -hmm. but then they also need to have a particular attitude yeah so are you able to like talk on that if that makes sense and like how how you think about that process I think it's a very interesting process to go through as a sole trader there's attitude and aptitude when you are a sole trader that first hire that person does grunt work. They're going to get their hands dirty. They do everything like you do. They basically are a, gener- a generalist with a great attitude, can-do mentality. They work hard. They work long hours. It's a startup, essentially. Mm. And then you need to do that time order again and go, where are we falling short? Where are we stuck? What can you actually do? What are you trying to do that's taking too much time? What can we outsource? Maybe you're still leveraging contractors. Um, but I believe it's really important to hire on fit because the truth is when you are a sole trader, you're not doing nine to five in an office. It's not that um, professional and streamlined. It's 7 p.m. Hey, I need this from you. It's 7 a.m. We've got to do this today. Something's come up and you need someone who works well under pressure, works well under stress. I, I know this is going to be controversial, but almost like a friend because they're working as hard as you, but it's your business. So why would they stay? Why would they stay if it's just a job, right? So you want to reward them well. You want to incentivize them. I like a quarterly bo- a quarterly bonus for that person. That person you empower to become a leader, you know, and then they get to hire. And now that's what they want because people who have jobs want a progression pathway. Not everyone wants their own business. If that was the case, everyone would have it. Most people have jobs and they're employed by people with businesses, right? So you want to empower that person to to lead. You want to make them feel like they're going to have a team. They have a voice. You want to ask them 
what help do you need? I'm going to hire that for you. And you want to make them feel that they're heard and seen. That next hire, more professional. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I think like something you just said popped into my mind then. It's also like giving your your best uh, like, you know, team members the biggest opportunities. Yeah. Like one thing that I think you can get trapped into as a sole trader is just trying to hand off the shit you don't want to deal with. Yeah. And taking all the big opportunities yourself. And one thing that I found is like it's kind of relates back to the genius with a thousand helpers thing is like if you give your best employees and best staff members the biggest opportunities, that's almost what feeds into the person who has the job, but they almost like that entrepreneur. Yeah. And they that's what they feed off. And yeah. then that's when they, they you know feel valued. Yeah. And I feel like that's I know that's I did that early on. It was like, oh, I don't want to do that. You take that. Yeah. And then you wonder why these people aren't invested into your business the way yeah. you are or to the level that you want them to be. And yeah. They're kind of just it's, going through the motions. It's like hiring someone to do the grunt work while you're having all the fun. Eventually they're gonna see that. And um oh, what's the book? Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. Mm. He's an old sales expert. And he basically says, do the hardest tasks first, you know. And at the end of the day, if you are the linchpin, if your business is built around you currently, you're the best person for the shit jobs. You're the best person for the hard clients. You might not want to do it, but you don't want your new employees having a hard time. Let them feel good. Let them feel. Let them get that instant gratification. Mm. Let them hit that dopamine response that they're doing good at their jo- their job. You take the hard clients that come to you for what you do best mm. and get them a result. Mm. Because at the end of the day, if you can flip that client, you can show this person how to work on things that are hard Mm -hmm. and suck Mm -hmm. um, and essentially grow through that. But yeah, it's definitely, um, you want to empower them. You want them to like their job. You want them to be rewarded. And, and the, the hard tasks, the problem clients, the jobs you don't want to do are the ones that you have to do and you should be doing them first. Mm, So true. It's so true. Um, I want to, divert back to kind of brand building yeah um because you obviously got a massive expertise in that area and even like you've obviously in a startup as well so you know if i'd love to get an insight into how you're planning to build big appetite and and we can just use it as an example because i guess the question is more around someone coming in who is about to start a brand yeah what avenues are you looking at are you on tiktok are you trying to are you more like okay, we need a diversified strategy, but we're going to principalize it in a sense and try to create a, you know, like an, an association across all of these different channels that we have. You know, I'd love to kind of go deep on how you're looking at brand building right now and, and we can kind of... Building a brand requires trust. Building a brand requires trust of your audience and one person can have a great experience and tell three people, three people can become six, six people can become 12. It's geometric growth. Mm. So to build a brand today, Big Appetite, our clients, we really start with the client. It really is all about who are you helping? And I think that it's something that is so overcomplicated. Like, yes, we can talk about owned and earned media for brand building and we'll get there. Mm. We can talk about all the strategies for putting content out there, all the platforms that you should be on. But people forget what's the big idea. Mm. You know, David Ogilvy from the 80s or 70s, genius in advertising. What's yeah. the big idea? And who are you helping? Who is your market? 
what is the problem that you are solving? What is the promise to them? What is your offer? And then look at your features and benefits. So in terms of building a brand, start with your people. Mm. And it's the good old don't find uh, people for your products, find products for your people. So building a brand requires the people that you have helped. So in terms of building Big Appetite, Jade and I, I have pulled forces. I've got helped over 100 personal trainers um, and, and clients build their brand. So it's it's leveraging that earned media. It's I'm going to be farming. I'm going back to all my people that I've ever worked with. And, and if you're listening to this, I would love to hear from you um, as to how I helped you grow. Mm. Have I helped you create time freedom? Have I helped mm. you create financial freedom? That's what I'm selling. Mm. What are you selling? You know, like are you selling – Comfort, are you selling results? What are you selling? And, and you want to find the people that you've worked with that can back this up. You want to get proof of concept and you want to build a brand true to your people. You want to be client-centric. You want to know what their pain points are. You want to know what their goals are. Mm. And you want to prove that you've been able to provide that solution. And then that becomes content, which you then can use on your website, your social media platforms. You can add value. So in terms of coming back to build brand building, to be known for what you want to be known for, which is helping your clients solve a problem. Never forget that. That's why we're here, right? That's why we're in business, to solve a problem. Every business has the market, the problem, and the solution. And then it forms the basis of your content. So you should be asking yourself every single time you post something, am I educating? Am I engaging? Am I entertaining? How am I solving the problem of my end user? If you're just posting content for the sake of posting content, you're not building a brand. Mm-hmm. You're building an audience maybe of people who are just tapping or viewing their campers. Um, they're not actually clients or, mm. or, or prospects. So in terms of brand building, you want to find who you are helping, know the problem and create content that enriches their lives. What do you think about like, because like obviously like, and, and something that's helped me in just a con- from a content perspective, like is what I found is like obviously paying more attention to the psychology of the customer than necessarily the demographics and stuff like that. So when you go into like a, you know, like so you're talking about problems, solutions, but there's obviously, a, I guess, like a, a, a second layer, or I guess, to, to that kind of, to those three different concepts, if that makes sense, which Definitely. is like the psychology of the customer and how they, you know, like I'll give you an example. So we, were, we had the um, founder of Frank Body on yep. um, last week. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about it's such a cool story. Like back in the day, um, they thought about like, okay, so what's the experience when somebody uses our product? And they were like, cool. So well, they're coming to us because they want either better skin or mm-hmm. they want this or they want that, and that's the solution that we provide. But then they were like, what's the experience when they actually use pain points, friction yeah. points, desires? Yeah, just how do they see the world, right? Yeah. And then they were like, well, it's such an intimate experience, and then. Um, they're like, you know, this was kind of before sexuality was a thing, you know, like on Instagram and stuff. It was 10 years ago. So like now it's a lot more normalized and like you can kind of show that side of you. But back then it was like, oh, are you doing that on Instagram? Like what are you doing type thing? And then they were like, well, they wanted to kind of break that stigma. So then they started to, they thought like it's really an intimate experience because you're naked when you're doing it. And then they, that's when they – do you remember the shower thing? Yes. And it was like yeah. everybody was and like – couples po- were doing it. Yeah. The black scrub. I remember it. And they were like that was completely manufactured. 
Yeah. You know, like they did that themselves and started posting it on their Instagram with the hope that it would catch on. Yes. And it was all coming back to the psychology of the customer and their pro- the, yeah. the primary, um, you know, their customer was a female. Like that was 80% of their sales and they were like, they tapped into that psychological side of it as well. So yeah. like there is that third layer. Definitely. So market segmentation, demographic segmentation is dead. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. If you have a digital business, why would you sem- segment your market on demographics, age, sex, location, income? Why? Yeah. It doesn't make any so sense. True. You need to look at psychographic segmentation, values, interests, beliefs, goals, desires, pain points. And there's different kinds of market segmentation. There's behavioral segmentation, how a user, really great for e-commerce if you have a product, how a user moves through your site, what are they clicking on, what pages are they leaving, what are mm. they viewing. Um, there's psychographic segmentation, which is so important because everything that humans do comes down to four things, four key needs to be seen, to show up as you are, to be heard, to have a voice, to, to be loved, to connect, you know, to, to, to belong. And this is why we do what we do. Everything, everything comes down to that. Everything you do must be emotive driven. Yeah. It must smart, spark some sort of emotion, create desire or solve a problem. And it must relate to a pain point or, or a goal. So this is super important to understand about your market. Like Frank Body, whether you're selling coffee or whether you're selling a service, your client will always ask, why this, why you, and why now? So to get a client over the line, you need to understand the pain point. You need to be in your client's head. You know, you don't, like, coming back to the, the, the scrub, right? The pain point is that you um, have really dry skin in winter. Like, you feel like you want glowing skin you want to be more confident wearing singlets you want like and this is the sort of thing that you need to understand because you need to also then understand what drives action now what's the difference between a client saying to you yep i'm ready to go signing on the dotted line or a client saying i'm going to start next month it's like the emotive stuff is where you differ right so like there's plenty of other products that deliver the same solution as frank body but what they did is they tapped into the psychology and tapped into you know like the biggest thing like what they said was like okay well who owns the pharmaceutical companies you mm-hmm. know and they were like it's old rich white guys right and it was like do they necessarily care about sexualization and making that normal and so that they break the stigma it's like no so that's the biggest opportunity for differentiation right yeah. so i think like disruption disruption, disruption. right disruption. being yeah. different being seen like in order to be seen like in order to be seen you have to be different because that's we we you know we have ad blindness visual fatigue we've yeah. seen the same stuff so many times we don't even see it <laughs> and we don't make decisions on what the best brand is we make decisions on what the least disastrous option will be yeah, right or and how we feel yeah. yeah and that is based on you know we, we we like to copy a little bit you know what i mean like go 100%. with where we'll go where the the numbers are and and you need to be able to tap into the cycle psycho- the psychology of a particular um, segment of the market right yeah and this is why when building a brand, it's so important to be obsessed with your customer. Who are you helping and why? You know, why Why are you helping them? What is their pain point? What is the cost of saying, staying the same? If they never bought your product or service and they never experienced what you have to offer, what is the cost of staying the same? Then the opportunity cost. What is the cost of not changing? Mm. You know what I mean? And you really need to understand this because what you are selling 
is largely different from your competitors. Unless you have a complete, unique concept that is patented, I believe, (laughs) I know, sorry, this is an ego thing for people listening, what you are selling is largely indifferent. Your scrub, their scrub, that scrub, it's all the same. Features and benefits, they're all the same. The reason people will buy from you is why. And yeah, maybe some things are a little bit different, but a price conscious consumer or a loyal consumer is not going to switch to a new brand, a challenger brand, the disruptor. So you really need to understand the psychology and the emotion. You want to be client obsessed. You want to be asking. You want to be going where the numbers are, looking at where these people are shopping. Think like they think. Speak the way they speak. Don't come out with a scrub and talk about the benefits of coconut shell and and the features of how it's made. Come out with a scrub and talk about why it's going to make you feel amazing. It's like the Apple versus Samsung debate, right? It's like Apple's the best company or like they probably created the best product in the world because yeah. they don't you know like samsung has a better camera samsung has better features have you seen the apple ads yeah. i ha- i actually play the apple ads in my fitness business strategy share play download stream it's all what you can do with the phone it's not the retina display the specs the load time the digit- like nobody knows nobody cares nobody <laughs> even knows what 5g is all i know is i want the best quality video on my instagram story you know and i want to download fast like these phones all do the same thing but apple is the like monop- has monopolized it in some ways Human, like yeah. humans it's like it's it's such an identity thing you know like i wear nikes over adidas because i believe in the athlete's mindset and they've been able to imprint that in me and it's like I almost it's it's weird like if I wore Adidas and I wore Nike there's like an essence to to me wearing those and I feel a different way not consciously but actually unconsciously uh and it's the same with Apple like I I laugh and like even on like group calls it's like who's the weirdo with the Samsung like you know what I mean but it's like I picked up a Samsung the other day and I was like I don't even know how to use this yeah what is it I don't it's almost like you're less creative you know what I mean but it's like I think that's what positioning and marketing is all about is like you you've got to understand that people make decisions based on their identity you know there's a reason you know like I think about it I think about the change in me just over the last 10 years and the different you know like I never used to buy clothes yeah like and now I'm like it's because I'm on camera I'm like oh you probably can't look that way or like what you know like and it's I would have rolled through today in a hoodie trust me yeah 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 100% right and it's like but that that's a big part of why I buy the certain things that I buy you yeah know? and I you want to portray an image you exactly. sell a lifestyle uh, yeah and that's like the psychological you know part of marketing and, and branding but also you know how you position your products and and how you can really make it stand out and, and be different exactly and not only is it the emotion you want to sell the lifestyle you want to sell the result if you look at nike ads they have women running around lunch uh, uh, in the, in the corporate setting you know they put their shoes on they go for a run they have people running on tracks like they nike don't ever sell on features and benefits you never see fly knit technology the cushioning of the sole the way the laces are freaking designed what you see is athletes you see people who are trying you see there's even that like you see stories you want to sell the lifestyle Mm. what can people do as a result of using your product but this is where it's really great to look at across industries whether it's fmcg or um Uh, like fast-moving consumer goods, beauty, cosmetics, they do it really well because they have marketers in there, you know, and and they're really great at selling a lifestyle. Mm. You look at 
a curcumin product. Let's say uh, curcumin tablets went gangbusters in Chemist Warehouse. I used to work in pharmaceuticals and I know this. Um, they didn't come out and go, this is ch- like turmeric root. They were saying, you know, joint-free, like uh, pain-free joints, mobility. Like, mm. like you can be the active dad silver surfer and extend the longevity of your life if you're taking curcumin. You've got to look at the industries like Nike, Qantas, um, pharmaceuticals, where you know that they're making bank. Everyone, 90% of Australians shopped in pharmacy in the last 12 months. So you've got to go where the, where the numbers are. Mm. And success leaves clues, you know, mm. and look at what they're selling and then bring that into your business. Like... I love looking at ads. I love watching ads. Yeah, I was too. I was in traffic the other day and I, I saw this Kennard self storage um, big billboard thing and it was basically like can't let go, you know. And it was so simple. It's like it was. I can't remember the copy. I've got a photo of it. The words, but it's like that hit my pain point. So many people have shit that they can't let go of. <laughs> they're, yeah. not, they're not selling the square meterage. They're not selling the cost per month. And I think that a lot of the time in business, people want to shout from the rooftop what makes theirs better. But your client doesn't know. It's not better. <laughs> it's, it's, and it's like, because you, yeah, like it's not better. It's, it's different, right? Try to yeah. find the white space. It's like, you know, even just from the conversations I've had and the one we're having now, it's like Apple, find the white space. You know, what... We're not really reinventing the wheel on anything. We're just finding different ways to sell it and position it, right? And it's the same with the Frank Body thing. It's like they didn't necessarily create a product that was so different. They just found the white space in the market that no one had looked at yet. Yeah. And it was like, I I was going to ask, like, relevancy, right? Like, we're having this conversation. It's not, you know, like now, like 10 years ago, points of different was like, eco-friendly green Mm. technology like sustainable um gender neutral uh, equality like these are all now these aren't points of difference right they're actually minimum standards basically yeah so your ability to find almost put your put yourself into the future and drag your business towards that point around some of these things because back you know frank body probably took off because they found that white space. I want to come back to that Frank Body um, as a case study because I know it. It's a good case study. I know it well. And I I know it well because I I think – I don't know if the owner of Frank Body is associated with Bondi Protein. I don't know. I don't don't know if they were, but it was around the same time that Bondi Protein was launched in pharmaceuticals, Mm. in in, in Chemist Warehouse. And Bondi Protein went gangbusters. They were selling the lifestyle, obviously the Bondi lifestyle. Yeah, so true. And I remember Frank Body Scrub. And I remember couples' faces, white teeth, smiling, intimate moments. And it was emotion. Yeah. It was the emotion. It was like it became a let's do a Frank body scrub. I remember having a sleepover with my friends. (laughs) Yeah. And like we did face masks and scrubs and it was like let's do that. Like it's fun. And then all of a sudden we were sharing it. It's shareable. It's remarkable. It's it's contagious. And that is marketing. You yeah. want your brand to sell itself and you want to be cl- like consumer centric and it is intimate. And if you are sharing intimate moments and, and this, your product or service becomes part of it and they want to share it for you, your audience wants to share it for you, that is every marketer's dream. You know, someone said to me, I uh, cut my finger and I said I needed a plaster. And my coach was like, what? What's that? A Band-Aid? And I was like, no, Band-Aid's the brand. And he's like, what do you mean? No, it's not. I'm like, yeah, it is. Look, Band-Aid, it's the brand. You're calling it that. It's actually whatever you call it, a plus of whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like people say, do you have any Panadol? You know, like that's 
not what you're actually asking for. What you're asking for is paracetamol. Yeah. You know, and it's like with Frank Body and, and, and the scrub or with anyone trying to create a brand, coming back to brand building, you want to create a, a brand or a word that can be used where people are, are using that term to describe what you do instead of actually asking for what you do. Does that mm, make sense? Yeah, 100%. It's yeah. like the thing that is, you know, like you know you've probably crushed it as a brand when – you you know your your brand name is is associated with the actual function. global function yeah, of like that thing. Yeah, like for example, I need a new pair of Nikes. Yeah. Instead of sneakers. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. what? You 100%. know. Even like you, you could even go brand within a brand there in Jordans. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like it's, it's crazy. Exactly, and I think that this is where sole traders who maybe don't have a marketing business background, because let's be honest, if you're a sole trader, you're a service provider. Yeah, you a service If you're a lawyer, a PT, a dentist, or a doctor, that's your skill set. That's what you do. You don't know business and marketing. You know what you do. So that's fine. Admit what you don't know, right? That's that's the whole point of growth. You've got to know what you don't know and then get help. But when you look at what the giants have done well, and if you need help, Google the best performing companies of today, Uber, um, even Airbnb, like, what are they doing? Own the category. Do- exactly. Yeah, exactly. So and it's like, I think people are so caught up being like, I'm the only one who can provide this service. <laughs> I mean, you're not, but you could be the one that disrupts that service category. I, it's, it's always something that, um, like, it's it's quite funny when I... Uh, Fitness was big for this too, because... Massive. The, the, the whole evidence-based thing, that was like, remember when that was the thing that you had, like, it's like... The people who did term. that, the people who did that first, did really well. But then, what the problem is, is everybody kind of went to that calorie and, deficit. And then that you're trying to say that that's your point of difference, and inevitably, that's why the pack gets stuck. And that's in any industry. Like I, I have this feeling that if you just, if you're like the fifth generation into a particular concept, and then that's what you're trying to sell, you will always be caught with the eighty percent that always struggle. And in in fact, what you you know we just talked about, you got to try to find that white noise. It hurts my soul. When I see uh, above the fold, which is the first thing you see when you land on a website, anyone who doesn't know, and it says 12 weeks premium custom online coaching. <sighs> yeah, it's not like... Like that's not what you're... That's, that's, it's, there's no emotion. There's nothing there about the client. There's nothing there about the outcome. And it's coming back to Nike. It's coming back mm. to these big brands. Go and have a look. I always do this because I'm... <laughs> okay, I, I do this, but I Google ads. I look at Nike ads. Mm. I look at what... It's a simple statement. It's a USP. If you don't know what that is and you don't know, your clients don't know either. So it's important that you work that out. Mm. It's a key position. It's, it's what, what can you... How can you help me? Mm-hmm. That's all you really need to be saying. And the evidence-based thing really set the coaches apart. And, and then a lot of the coaches who push evidence-based... It's like basically saying proven to get results. But they don't like saying that because it sounds marketing. Mm. Like it sounds like marketing puffery. But if you look at the greatest performing words on digital right now, it's proven, free, results, guaranteed. PTs don't like saying stuff like that because they have an ego. And this is where that industry is really stuck. So you're now pushing the same thing everyone else is saying and you're saying things that only your peers can understand. Like if I needed to lose weight and I was the average 35 year old worker who thinks the chicken Caesar wrap is healthy what does evidence-based mean 
evidence? Is there a court of law here? Like, yeah. you need to remember how far away you are now so, like, se- separating yourself from your client if they don't understand what you're saying. Do you... um? Hey. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> not sure. <laughs> um, so, are you seeing any of the white... Like, you know, like, what do you... Is there anything... And you might not be able to answer this because I don't know if I would be straight off the bat but is there any white noise that you're not white noise white space that you're seeing of like some of the next big opportunities you know around positioning and maybe some relevant topics yeah that you think are there i mean having to think about it obviously i think the white space is always going to come back to the customer yeah if you look at like history trends success leaves clues if you look at the biggest names of our time in this fitness health and wellness category they're not people. They're not faces. Mm. You are aging. You could die. <laughs> like, I mean, that's a bit dark. But anyway, <laughs> they move with us, Rachel Dillon. Sweat w- with Kayla dropped off, you know, sweat. Nike, Adidas. These are client-centric mm. brands. The white noise is always going to come back to finding your niche and addressing their pain point. Fat loss transformations, Sure. But what about the and and the busy mum? Okay, fine. That's where that's that's who you want to target. But you need to dive deeper. You know, you want to understand: is it are you time poor? Do you want to work out at home? I think that's what um, Equolution did so well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like when you know, like there was obviously the whole movement towards science, and that there was like a lot of rigidity in that. And then they probably like I feel like they found white space early on. That people were just like, wow, I didn't know this existed. I think, I think like James Smith, Mark Carroll, they did this really well as well. Like they introduced the term calorie deficit, two simple words. It's not theirs. They didn't discover it. It's science. It's energy balance. Mm. Um, and they really banged, banged home about that. And I think this is where as a personal brand versus a company, it then just comes down to likability. What differentiates you know, the, these two people, what sets them apart? It's not what you do, it's why you do it. Mm. It's how people can relate to you. It's relatability, it's relevance. Mm. It's, it may be something as simple as the messaging. Some people just might not like you because you have brown hair, <laughs> like whatever. But um, a lot of brands like Weight Watchers, they've even rebranded just to that WW and, and Jenny Craig. They've simplified complex mm. Nothing complex trends. So if you're out there trying to be the smartest coach on the internet, my question to you is, do you want to be the smartest coach on the internet or do you want to make money? Nothing nothing complex trends. Simplify complex. Use your client's language in any industry. If you are selling hoodies, if you are selling activewear, if you are selling supplements, make sure your client understands the benefit Mm. because you know... Like I've worked with clients who have been so passionate to tell me about the nootropic blend that they've put in their coffee. And they bang on about how their mushrooms are sourced from this place, which are manufactured at harvest versus their, the competitor. And I'm like, that's mad. That's so cool. There's the benefits that bioavailability are way more prominent in your product than your competitors. But how does anyone know? Mm. No, it has been said that nobody knows what you know or how much you know until they know how much you care. So you need to come back to the benefit and the emotion. You need to come back to, I'm going to help you do more work. You're going to be more productive because of this nootropic brand blend harvested from the Amazon, wherever you got it. Who knows? Who cares? Nobody cares. 
And and it's like when working with personal brands, I've actually <laughs> Jade's always like, Jenna, tone it down, tone it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I'll get a client who comes to me and like, I don't have a, I don't have competitors yet. We don't have any competitors. I'm like, well, you will, or you already do. Like you can't think like that. Or or they're like, you know, we've got the best formulation. It's the most expensive. We haven't sacrificed on price, and we're delivering it the same. We've line priced it with the market. Nobody cares. <laughs> like, you've got to come back to what your client cares about, which is the problem that they're trying to solve, you know, and, and really cutting through with a sim- simple messaging. You know, just do it. Just do it. Do what? Run track and field. Be a cheerleader. Lift weights in the gym. But people understand just do it because I have a goal and you have a goal and we both just want to get it done. See what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and I think it talks, I think especially now with, like, social media and the power of it, like, it talks, like, you know, you mentioned James Smith and, like, he's extremely relatable and he went against like he found some white noise because at the you know when he first started it was like again he he's he's still what you would say is like evidence-based a hundred percent but he's almost like fuck evidence-based he's also not another coach yeah no but he's yeah Yeah. he's kind of but he he kind of went okay well i'm just gonna sit over here while everyone else is over here yeah you know what i mean and i feel like it's it comes back to this kind of notion that you know, zig when people zag, you know, yeah. like, like, you know, and, and don't be afraid to be, do what's authentic to you. Like, and I feel like that's what traps a lot of people. And yeah. even like with the logical brain, it's like, no, 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 I need to be, ta- I need to, you know, I need to be talking about the individual benefits and, and this and that and this and that. But it's like, inevitably, like, I think you just need to create a brand that someone can connect with. Yeah. And find and again, you, you mentioned it. It's like the customer. Understand who that yeah. is. Create a brand that they can connect with, that is not saying whatever everyone else over here is saying. This is, I think, you've just hit the nail on the head. And like, I listened to a podcast from Gary V the other day. So whether or not you trust me as a marketer, please trust him. You sure can. And he talks about the fundamental thing that people miss. It's awareness. It's self awareness of your personality. Like James Smith's simplified complex, why people choose him over other people, why does he push so many buttons and still have such a fan base? He has a personality. People like him. And I think a lot of the time as a brand, it's about establishing warmth, trust, a personality, humor. You don't always have to be polished. And this is something that people, because of fear and imposter syndrome and self-doubt, will continue to hold themselves back from. And that is where someone will zig while you are zagging because someone will just be the disruptor because they're coming through and they're saying something and they're saying it loud and they're saying it proud. And really what's happening is you're getting caught up in trying to fit into the mold and and, and prove a point and appeal to a customer. But as a person and as a brand, sometimes it's just about coming back to your personality. It's being likable. People have to like you. If you're a sole trader, if you're a personal brand, particularly in fitness... Do not do what your competitors are doing because they're already saying it. Like how many blonde girls with six packs are there on the internet with posting booty shots? You're never going to break that mold, you know, and I, I know this. It's like you've got to be – I know that when I competed, not, not to go back too far in terms of fitness, but um, I never sold coaching, but I built this audience of people who were like, we love that you eat cookies and can't stick to your macros. And I'm like – my coach would be crying if he knew that I was building an audience. Like, but no, no coaches were doing that. All the other WBFF pros, all the other competitors, 
were building Instagrams looking like robots with nutrition, a yeah. lot of them. And I was like, I'm eating cookies, oops. Yeah. And people liked that, you know. But I think there's like method to the madness there, right? Like, again, using James Smith as an example, like, yeah, he was authentic to him and he was courageous enough to do that. But I think at some point he also probably understood his customer and he's like, you know, doesn't have to be this hard. You know, people don't want pain point. You know, like if I'm, if it doesn't I'm, have to be this hard. Pain if point. I, if I'm the everyday person, I'm not going to the like. You know, there was a stage where the Commando Steve thing was like a that was you know like the biggest loser, and there was all that going on, and that was like that became the thing, and that was like the image of the PT boot camp. Yeah, yeah. but then it's like GI Joe looking dudes. <laughs> but eventually, like that dies out, and it's like you know the thing about James Smith is no matter who you are on the planet, you enjoy listening to his things because. He's real and he's he's saying things that, you know, he's a, like it's just it's just relatable and funny it, and yeah. that's what his customer wants to hear. It comes down to speaking their language, yeah. knowing their pain point and speaking their language. Like I remember the biggest loser thing and I'll go I'll go there. I'll say this. That doesn't work. Crash diets don't work, you know. A lot of them are still overweight. I think if you they did a study on this, a lot of them all put the weight back on mm. because it's not you can't adopt it into your lifestyle. It's so drastic. It's never going to work. And the that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, but yeah, the, yeah. the businesses that do well, the, the, the coaches that do well in this space go, I see you. I hear you. Equolution, Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, James Smith, Mark Carroll, R- Lauren Simpson, all of them go, want to have a treat? Eat it. Want to have your cake and eat it too? Zig, and z- Zig when everyone's at Exactly. Yeah. Like the- exactly. And it's like, it just comes down to using their language. If If they can't, if, if your client or, or prospect, whatever industry or business you are in, cannot see themselves using your product 12 weeks from now, they won't be. It's very important to understand. Mm. If it's too hard to make a habit or a pattern, then you don't have a long-term sustainable business. You then have a shorter lifetime value of a client. So the goal is omnipresence. The goal is to be part of your client or prospect's your, your customer's daily routine. Put on a pair of shoes, go to the gym. You know, brush their teeth, follow a meal plan. Whatever it is, whatever you do, you want it to become a pattern. And if you can, other than say Panadol, which is like based on a need and a problem, if you can work your way into ev- the everyday mind and pattern and ritual of your client, you have mm. a gold mine of a business. It's kind of like the, con- you know, I mean, it's just the connection between like... Um identity and your product and then again you said it trying to just weasel your way into their daily you know like being the there's probably three or four things that we do on a daily basis that we actually mold 80 percent of our identity around yeah and if you can weasel your way into that like i just feel like that's when yeah. you can really make it and and you know maybe marketing's just the continuous journey of optimization to get to that storytelling point. you know what i mean market you're tr- you're right it's like our career your job your relationships, your health, and maybe some hobbies. That's that's the four things that everyone does in a day. Maybe yours is reading or Netflix or uh, going to yoga, going to work, you know, whether or not you're commuting, whatever it is you're doing there, the relationship that you have with your friends or your partner, and then how you take care of your health. These are the daily habits of a human. Mm-hmm. Even the less healthy humans – maybe think they need to go for a walk. Maybe you could sell them something as simple as that 
like, I don't know, walking shoes. My point is you want to find something that slots into that, that daily life, like something like a scrub, for example, not done every day. How, how easy to forget you buy it, you use it once. It's fun. You snap a photo. Then what is the repurchase? How long to till repurchase and replenishment? And this is when marketing and strategy comes into play. If it's not a daily thing that you then notice when you're not doing it, how can I remind you that I exist? And this is something that you see now with product replenishments and membership sites and creating that recurring revenue. And, and you know who did it the best? Tontine. No, what's that pillow company that stamped the date that you need a new pillow? I'm not there, sure. There's a, there's a marketing case study. I think, I think it's Tontine. And they realised it was a pillow, a pillow company. Mm. People were not buying pillows for like 20 years, which is disgusting. So yeah, they yeah. started scare tactic advertising about ecosystems in your pillows. Mm. And it was a, it was, it's, it's actually marketing genius, stamping the date you need a new pillow. So when you change your pillow, you go, oh, like there's an ecosystem in my pillow. Now I need a new one. You go get a new one. How, how can you do something like that? If you've got a scrub and it, it's sitting in the back of someone's cupboard for six months and then they look at it and go, oh, I could do that again. They're never going to buy it again. <laughs> like yeah. you need to either encourage usage and repeat purchase. Otherwise, you know what I mean? It's funny, like, you know, I was chatting with the founder of Frank Body and, and she was kind of saying like, you're, you know, the coffee scrub wasn't something that they you could use regularly like it's not it's like that kind of thing that you like to do and you might do it with a friend yeah Yeah, exactly you know like whatever but novelty but then she was like you know that's why it was really important that we did really well at manufacturing growth from a a brand perspective there but then it was the next move for them to scale was like okay we actually need to start making products that we can like almost cross-sell and create another product that is a part of that regular routine, like a moisturizer or exactly. something like that. And Companion selling. And I think it talks, you know, like a lot of the conversation is like, initially you just need to find the white space and capture the corner of the market, but then you can really yeah. nestle in and, and, and as your brand grows, you can start to offer the different products. Well, my, yeah, my advice there is like invest in proximity. Mm. What do you do? What are you known for? What is the next best thing? For example... Shampoo and conditioner. Companion selling. Nobody, no girl, would ever go and buy a shampoo and not conditioner. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. It's, it's like that is, that is also a storytelling mm. uh, success, right? Mm. You want companion selling. If mm. you are brushing your teeth, you want floss. If you've got toothbrush, you've got toothpaste, tooth floss, mouthwash. Mm. You know, like invest in proximity. What do you do? What are you known for? Mm. What, is the next, what is the next thing? What, is, what, are they, what does your client do or customer do before and after they do you? And can you diversify into that area? So true. So true. Um, the next part of the podcast is quick fire. Okay. So as I said before, and I have to always have to preface this, but it's not, you know, don't feel like you're, you've got a Four limit. Words. Yeah. Like you've got a time <laughs> limit. Um, but yeah, just really broad questions. Okay. I'm One, nervous. No, you'll be right. <laughs> Everybody gets nervous with quick fire. They're like, oh, <laughs> hmm. Um, so one piece of advice for your younger self. Stop at nothing. Like if I could go back to my 25-year-old self, it's just that the stresses that you have and the way that you're feeling about opportunity, career changes, where you want to go in life, it's like you have these big goals but you don't know how to get there. Don't worry. Your goals will change. I used to want to have this great job and be a corporate career woman. Now I have four companies. I never thought that would happen, but I'm happy. I'm happier. 
you know it's just just keep going keep moving in that direction and pivotal conversations things happen that change the trajectory of your life let them in you know mm. just just stop at nothing keep working just it's like just like keep chipping away at wherever you want to go and maybe you don't even know it you can't see it but like your your trajectory will change where you're going can change but if you've just got this can do worker mentality and you're getting it done you'll you'll get there yeah you'll I, get there i think it's like one of the toughest things to do in life, especially when you're starting out, is take opportunities because it's so scary. But the thing you actually learn is that the more opportunities that I take, the more that actually come to me. And I think success like that's, success. that's why, you know, yeah. the change, you know, you, you're right. Like, uh, you know, I can't tell you a month that goes by where I have the same goal, you know, because it's like a new opportunity arises and then I'm like, oh, that gives me an idea or there's like what could, po- what could potentially happen. And well, I you just can think, only think, things and goals as big as your current headspace and until mm. you a new idea is planted in your head then maybe you won't be able to think of that next big thing mm. you know what i mean yeah so true it's so true um so what advice would you give to someone who's thinking about starting a business good question do your research do your research on who you are helping and what is the problem you're solving don't come to me with this great big idea if you don't know who you're, whose problem you're solving. Mm. Start with the customer. Who are you helping? Whose problem are you solving? Does anyone else offer this solution and how? I like spreadsheets. Who else does what I think I can do or what I want to do? How are they doing it? How much are they charging? What are the key call-outs and things that they're saying? Mm. Do your research. Mm. Um, so and true. And stop at nothing. It's so true. Uh, you know, like you often have ideas and like, oh, that would be great. And then you know, when you've been in business for a while, you start to understand, okay, I need to go research this. I had a, fr- a friend call me um, maybe around Christmas and he's like, oh, I've got the best idea. Um, we're going to be billionaires. That's what he said. <laughs> and he's like, you know, what if he's like, and he went to the park and he's seen all these dogs running. He's like, I could look after those dogs. He's like, I'd love to look after those dogs. What if, I, what if there was a, like an Airbnb for dog sitting? I'm like, brother, it's been it done. It's yeah. There. Like someone's, someone's already done Great that. Great idea. Yeah. That dude's a billionaire. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> I've got a really good idea. It's a search engine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's that kind of premise. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, the first thing is always to go do your research. Yeah. All right, biggest watch this space for 2022. I know that this has been said before, but TikTok. Mm-hmm. TikTok, you can't ignore it. You know what? I was ignoring it. Because I don't know how to use it. And it's hard. And then my friend who is 30 said to me, she spends as much time on TikTok as Instagram. Mm. Which I was like, okay, I'm listening. It's not just for millennials. It's not just for Gen Z's 18-year-old eco-conscious people. It was. <laughs> it was. It's and it's anymore. not just a dancing platform. Yeah. TikTok. Mm. I think it's definitely going to be a watch this space. Um, and Instagram. The way that they're innovating the algorithm changes, the way that people are growing and then just being quickly cut down. Um, when I say watch this space with Instagram, what I mean is learn to adapt because it's going to change. They are a business and they are going to continue to change it so that they can clip as much of that ticket that you have as possible. Mm. So be ready to adapt on Instagram and make sure that you have a presence on TikTok. And just be reminded of what I said before, you don't have a business if you only have an Instagram account. Mm. It's not a business. It's an Instagram platform. Mm. Very true. Very true. 
most important business, most important trait that a founder must have for success and why? The willingness to learn. Hum- humility, you know. He who knows it all knows nothing. Um, I've been around really smart people who can't be told. They can't learn. They, they have egos. And I think the most important trait is... There's this African concept, I was just in South Africa, it's called Ubuntu. And um, there's also a, a documentary on Netflix, a coach references this for the NBA. And he, it basically says we have a lot to learn from each other and other people. No one is above you. No one is beneath you. As a society, I can learn from you. I can learn from my staff, whether it's something like a pattern, a trait, a thought or an idea you have to have a willingness to learn. Mm. Um, you have to continue to learn as an expert. You have to continue to stay current and update your skill set. So always be learning from an educational space, but also learning from people, your customers, the people who have done things that you want to do. Mm. Um, having these conversations and, and, and going in there, listening, not waiting to talk and, and taking things away, thinking how can I grow from this? How can I do something differently based on what I've heard. I think that great leaders are learners. They learn, they flex, they adapt based on what they've learned. They're not set in their ways. And if you have a business and your methods are yours and you're the best and you're never going to change, like you're only going to get what you've always gotten. What got you here won't get you there. It's essential for growth as well, right? Like you you very quickly learn that it's kind of what we were saying before, like a a great leader listens and can can connect with their people because yep. they can learn how to get the best out of them and yeah you know with what you're saying if you if you aren't humble and you don't have humility and you're not willing to listen and learn from those around you you will inevitably always be the bottleneck in your business exactly so it's very true exactly um okay so the last question is more around productivity okay so we're on a journey to try create the ultimate diary for a founder um, and, and I guess one of the biggest problems that I have with like all the like diaries. Schedule? Yeah, a bit of everything, right? So it's not necessarily closed out to a schedule, but you know how like there's some journals and it's like a self-help journal and then there's some diaries and it's got like setting your goals out and these kind of things. I want to get a bit of a gauge of like how you manage yourself from a productivity standpoint. And also like, is there something missing in a diary that you wish there was? Um, and if not, what's the most important thing that should be in a founder's diary? I think because you, you're a spreadsheet person, right? So, yeah, so you're like yeah. you're like managing every second or every single element. Yeah, I definitely think, and this might not be the answer you're expecting. Your morning routine, like mm. I wake up, I meditate, I visualize the day ahead of me, I visualize how my day is going to pan out, what I want to attract, what I want to achieve, what I want to have done, how I want to do it, how I want to feel the opportunities to that day and what comes ahead, I journal and I go train and I move my body and I start my day like ready to freaking go, you mm. know, and that stillness, the the connection to the present moment, the connection to, to why I'm doing this, why I'm here, my purpose allows me to make better decisions and allows me to be more self-aware. So if I am procrastinating or if I things aren't, I think it's always important to ask yourself, is this necessary with time management? So in terms of the schedule, morning, stillness, connection to your why, 
let things come to you, those ideas, those solutions, and maybe revisit that at lunch, even if it's just five minutes. Because if you are con- if you are connected to why you are here and if you are aware and you have the ability to let these thoughts in, ideas, solutions, ask yourself, is this necessary? Is this the best use of my skill set? Do I really need to be doing this? You are going to be more productive. Mm. You are going to focus on the income-producing activity. You are going to, to, to have a higher return on investment. It's such an interesting one, I, I feel like, because I feel like I, I understand what you're saying and I think it's so important, but I also think it gets lost in the noise. Like I think morning routine, like I, you, for me the routine needs to be, and you mentioned it, is like assess what needs your time and do what is in best for you. Like for a long time there I wasn't connected to myself, so then my morning routine was actually centred around doing that. Yeah. Now it's less time intensive to, you know, like meditation was something that I did massively back in the day you know and it helped me so much i probably owe my life to it because it just it really did change things for me but now it's not necessarily a daily thing it's like i just do it two or three times a week becomes a habit you know but i but there's still an element there like and what i use it for right so like for me now it's like my mornings is just spending time by myself yeah and like you said it for me it's more about what like reassessing why I'm doing things and how I'm going to spend the day. You know, I'm, a, I'm an early riser. I like yep. to wake up at 4 a.m. because no one else is going to talk to me and I'd get that alone time. But what my morning routine used to be and what it is now is totally different, but it's based on the needs that I have. Whereas I feel it can be very easy to get caught up in what everybody else is doing with their morning routine because we want to feel better, yeah. right? I think it's important not to just tick the boxes. Mm. Don't be like, I should be meditating. Mm. Like, I should be journaling. Like you need to be connected to what you're doing. You need to do what feels good. And if it's not coming, if it's not, if you're not, if you're doing it for the sake of doing it, you're not doing it. It's not, that's not how that works. It's different, isn't it? And I understand that. Like I was like, I should be meditating. So I'm going to meditate. Meditating makes productive people more productive. Books I've read say the greatest leaders of our time meditate. I'm going to meditate. And I sit there and all I think about is how hard meditating is. It's not very meditative. So stop trying to fit a square peg through a round hole. And then I learned about walking meditation. I would go for a walk. And sometimes it doesn't have to be meditation. It's moments of stillness, you know, but it's like, how you do it, what you do, whatever. Connect to why you're here. I think, I think your purpose and, and, and your connection to why you're doing what you're doing is so important to be a happy human. Happy people who are connected to why they're doing what they're doing, I believe, are more productive. You know, and I think like meditation and balance is like it's all it's like is this the new perfection like Mm. am i not a good person if i'm not meditating and journaling and eating freaking organic food and drinking alkaline water like that's like where the world is gone and it's like you you can remove the pressure if it doesn't feel good just lie there and think about your thoughts that's meditation yeah that and that's what i mean like i think the daily routine thing is is really important but it's like not it's not like the daily everyone's daily routine is the same or there's Mm -hmm. certain things that everybody needs to do it's just what do you need to do yeah how do you need to spend your time and what's going to get you the best result for where you're at like in times where i don't feel good that's where a lot of this stuff comes in but then if i'm feeling great like you said like meditation can come in many different ways you know planning task management like all this stuff can be done in different ways and i feel like 
I, I agree on the routine. I just feel like it gets lost in the weeds, especially with the gram and, mm-hmm. and the pressure that comes with it, if that yeah. makes sense. Like you've got to do what, what works for you mm-hmm. and not just what you think everybody else is doing and, and what's the social norm, if that makes sense. Because exactly. I feel like that holds a lot of people back. Like for me now, it's like getting my tasks done from like 5 a.m. till 7 a.m. is the best thing because guess what? As soon as it hits 7.30, meetings. People are pulling me in this direction. I've got to have this conversation. And mm-hmm. it's like previously my morning routine was meditate, walk, exercise, this. But now I've just moved that stuff into a different area and my routine's different. So mm-hmm. I think that's the, that, that's like something I've noticed is like – but I it, I felt bad for doing that at the start, you know? Like it was yeah. like, oh, my God, like I should be doing these things in the morning mm-hmm. and so on. But I guess that's probably something I've changed my mind on a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, right. it's important. Like you're not married to your schedule. Hundred um, percent. Especially as a business owner, like if your business needs something from you, yeah, like that's the thing I've found is like if I don't get the things I need to get done before seven thirty, they won't get done. Exactly. Eat that frog. Do the hardest yeah. task first. Hundred percent. Awesome. I want to say a massive thank you to you. We're going to wrap it up. That was amazing. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. It was a great conversation. <laughs> I think. It was good to kind of, I think one thing that I noticed is like the depth that we can kind of go to around talking about brand, marketing, scale, you know, for someone who's starting a business, like most of the time you start it either alone or with maybe one other person. Yeah. And then the, you know, the conversation was really centered around how do we go from there? Yeah. Zero, zero to one type thing. So that was amazing. What I might get you to do is um, tell people where they can find you, um, a lot of your businesses and, and, and so on. For sure. So my name is Jenna Davies and Jade and I are launching Big Appetite. We have not officially launched yet, but you can find me at jennadaviesmarketing.com and Jenna Ann on Instagram. That's J-E-N-N-A-N-N-E. You can reach out and Jade and I are going to be launching bigappetite.com um, in June. So very exciting. So exciting. Taking on new clients. We do have some foundation client spaces left um, and also Butter Up Clothing. So um, anyone who wants to get amongst some really comfy, high quality, everyday core clothing, um, Butter Up Co. Awesome. Get on it. I'm really excited to see what you and Jade do as well. I'm I'm pumped. Watch this space. Thank you. Thank you you very much for coming on. John, thanks for putting this together, my man. Uh, And to everybody who listened, once again, support's been crazy. The comments, the likes, the shares, all of it makes such a big difference. Um, You don't understand how much it helps. So a massive thank you and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks, guys.